0: Good morning. Welcome home. I'm glad to see so many of you here. We have students that are coming back from spring break. We're so grateful for that. Uh, We pray for the ones that are traveling today. Um, All the things, all the joy uh, that Ryan was talking about and praying about, that is all real, that is all true, that is all good. Um, Some of us here this morning... Uh, have very heavy hearts um, and are having trouble um, processing all of that. Um, Last night, um, we had a tragedy in that uh, Ray and Sabrina Bradshaw's daughter and Sandra's sister passed away last night, and um, she was 15. Her name is Sarah, and uh, we just want to, as a body, as a family, we want to do what we're called to do, do what our hearts yearn to do, and bear this burden, uh, all of us, uh, not only in prayer, but in, in continuous thought and intercession and action and love and, and comfort. Um, so uh, if those of you, um, if, if all of you would join me in praying, um, sweetie, we're going to pray for you and for your family and your mom and dad and everybody. Dear Lord, um, you are the God of the broken heart. Um, you, you know and entered into our pain so that you can draw near to us when we suffer and be the God of all comfort. Lord, that is what Ray and Sabrina and Sabra and Sandra and all their friends, and all their, that is what they need. And Lord, help us be the church. Help us come together and and be your arms around them. Be your hands that serve them. Be your hearts that love them. Help us to bear their burden um, as we plead for you. Lord, you are what they need. You are what we need. We don't know why, but we know who. And we know that you are good even when every circumstance tells us you're not. You are, Lord, and we cling to you. Uh, You are our answer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Sweetie, we're here for you, okay? All right. Okay, children can be dismissed for Children's Church. Um, I'd ask you to keep an eye on your email. Uh, we might do something on the website, uh, but in terms of being there for the family, uh, as details come forward, what they need, what they want, what, all things like that, stay tuned because we want to respond in a way, with a love that can only be explained um, by the risen Jesus, okay? That's our call, uh, and, and we're going to be that. Um, Luke 17, that's where we are this morning. Uh, I'd ask you to turn there if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, If if you don't, there may be one under the seat in front of you. I invite you to take that with you as your own uh, if you need one, if you need one. Um, I'd ask Ryan to to pull up Proverbs 18.21 as you're turning there. This is week four of our Speak Life series. And we started off with Speak Life, then we spoke love, we spoke uh, forgiveness, and this morning we're going to speak thanks. And and this has been, Proverbs 18, 21, has been sort of a root, a core verse that has led us through the series and will continue to this week and next week. Uh, and here it is. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. This is your tongue. This is my tongue. The things that we say or don't say and those who love it will eat its fruit. So it has a great impact on others, on ourselves, on our relationships, on our faith, uh, in God, in our lives. So very important. Uh, today we're talking about being thankful, and, and we're going to look at a, a, a portion of God's Word that is familiar to many of you. And, and here's the challenge for you. Um, if you think you know what's coming, um, you'll be tempted to check out at some point, I'd ask you, I plead with you, don't do it. Not because my words are worth hearing, but because God's word is worth hearing. And I have had this conviction on my heart all week that that he wants to transform lives through his truth right here um, because we're talking about um, really an only partially understood uh, section of his truth. Uh, An element that, if we fully understand it, would change everything. Everything, our attitudes, our emotions, our hearts, our relationships, our jobs, our marriages, our, our hobbies, everything. Everything can change. Starting this morning, if you and I understand the truth and the power of God's Word as it relates to thanksgiving, and living a life. And I'm not talking about simply being thankful. I'm talking about being overwhelmed and compulsive about being thankful to Jesus all the time, even now, even, even when, it, when it makes no sense. That's what we're talking about. And if we, can, if we can see what's there, if we can allow Christ to speak to our hearts, everything can change. And we want that. We need that. Um, as you turn there, Luke 17, uh, I want to tell you, uh, there's a, there was a boy at the uh, farmer's market over here, and he was with his mom, and he was looking at the oranges. And the man who was working there saw him looking at the oranges and handed him one, just, here here you go, young man. And, and his mom says, uh, what do you say to the nice man? And he held it up, and he said, peel it. Okay, so that's where we're starting. Okay, and and some of that is alive in each each one of us. So I, I just want to say a quick prayer and plead with God. God, this is you. This is your truth. This is your message. This is your time, Lord. Speak. Um, may your word be heard, uh, Lord. Send your Spirit, um, Lord, that you would forgive me and and my many sins, and you would use this time for your glory and and for your people's sake um lord uh we pray against the enemy we pray against anything that would distract us and rob us from what you the seed uh that you want to plant in our hearts uh this morning that can transform us uh more into uh, the people you created us to be more into your image and we ask that uh In Jesus' precious name, amen. Okay, you ready? Luke 17, we're going to pick it up at verse 11. Luke 17. Okay, I hear a lot of pages turning, so that's good news. Um, Jesus is going on a road trip, and here we go. On the way to Jerusalem, he, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and and Galilee. Okay, Jesus is making uh, a run to the border, if you will. The border between Galilee, where a lot of Jews lived, and Samaria, where interestingly enough, uh, the Samaritans live. You getting the connection? And the, the important thing here is to know that the Jews who lived in Galilee looked down on the Samaritans. Uh, they were regarded by the Jews as outcasts, as half-breeds, as rejects, as as fringe people, not just spiritually, but culturally, intellectually, socially, morally, in every way inferior, kind of like um, how really religious people view everybody, everybody else, um, just so we're clear. Because we're going to use the word religious a lot. We're not talking about faithful followers of Jesus Christ when we use the term religious. What we're talking about is people who are puffed up, who are so convinced of their own righteousness that they neither truly love Jesus, nor his cross, nor other people. They just found a new way to, uh, to be prideful, and they've used the church and religion to do it. That's the religious people. And Jesus, here's what Jesus loves. If you spend time in the Gospels, he loves telling stories to the religious Jews that make the Samaritans, the very people they look down on and hate, as the hero, right? The good Samaritan, perfect example. He's telling this to religious Jews who think the Samaritans can never gain God's approval, right? Can never be accepted by God. He makes them the hero, Loves doing that. This is not a story per se in the way of parable. This actually happened. So, um, But a little background, there you go. Here we are, verse 12. He's going down to the border town. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. That's lepers, not leopards. It would be a completely different story if it was leopards. It's not. Lepers who stood at a distance. Okay, what's going on here? Okay, he's entering the village. He's not through the city gates yet. Why? Because he has he's met this group of 10 men who have a skin disease, an awful condition. Now, at that time, leprosy, uh what they called lepers, this tells you they're not they lose their identity. They become the disease that they have. Do you understand? It's like somebody who has cancer being called Uh, Cancerous, you know, they've lost their identity because they're lepers. Why are they outside the village? Because they've been banished. They've been outcast. They they have been uh, separated and and put out aside. They have lost their family, their jobs. So communicable is this disease. We're talking about lots of different skin diseases that were kind of grouped under the term leprosy. This is not problem acne. They don't need proactive. They need a miracle. And because they've, they've kind of been quarantined and rejected, put outside the city gates, which ironically is where Jesus is killed, outside the city. And, and so he identifies with these people They can't come near anyone. They forget what it's like to be with their wife, to be with their friends, to be with their children, to sleep in in their own home, in their own bed. And that's that's the condition that they have. And one of the things that they have to do when people come near them, see, because they can't get within closer than six feet, of an uninfected person no closer than six feet, which is my rule for Quincy's prom date, no closer than six feet. And when people come, sorry, I still love you, right? Okay. Um, well, you know, if things go bad, you have to use your pastor superpowers, and you don't want to unpack that if you don't have to. Um. Where were we? No closer than six feet. And when people approach them, they have to shout, unclean, unclean, which is a real awkward way to start a conversation. I think you'll agree. And so they're completely dependent on people who will, when they're away, leave food, leave clothes, leave something for them. They're completely dependent on the kindness of others. And the law says that they must wear, they must tear their clothes, which in the Jewish culture was a sign of mourning, was a sign of sorrow, and that they would wear strips of cloth material around their faces. Which makes me wonder, is Lady Gaga a leper? We don't, Or just trash? I don't know. You decide. Um, so that's their situation. Why 10? Why 10? I've thought of two reasons. One, they're forming communities because they need and they suffer not only from, from skin disease, but from lack of connectedness. And so they form these communities, this island of misfit toys, if you will, and, and, and they're coming together, and they're, they're living together um, in their brokenness. Uh, and, uh, maybe 10, maybe they're, they've got a little pickup basketball league going. You don't know. Here in March Madness. Uh, okay, a note to, uh, what are they doing? Okay, here we go. Verse 13. We're going to get through this. They lifted up their voices. They're saying in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. So they're they're calling to Jesus. They probably already said, unclean, unclean, before they realized who it was, but they know that Jesus is kind, that Jesus is merciful, that Jesus is master, okay? And they cry out to him, have mercy on us. Now, we're gonna stop here because uh, there's an important thing that we have to draw a distinction between, Because we often in Christian circles hear the words mercy and grace used interchangeably. And as we go through the Bible, they're very similar, but it's an important difference that I think we want to take a look at. They're two sides of the same co- coin of Jesus' goodness. Okay, Mercy, which they're asking for, is this. Not getting the bad or the painful thing that we deserve. Okay, mercy is not being given, not getting the bad or the pain that we deserve. Grace is getting the wonderful, beautiful, incredible stuff that we don't deserve. Are are you following? And, and, And mercy and grace, the not getting the bad and getting the good, neither one of which we deserve, the other of which we don't. It's like the best of both worlds. It comes together in the cross and the empty tomb. As Jesus died on the cross in our place as our substitute for our sins, we do not get the punishment that we deserve. That's mercy. When he rose from the dead for our salvation, we get new life, we get forgiveness, we get freedom, we get health, we get hope, we get life, we get his spirit. From that, that is grace. We get that wonderful, indescribable gift that we don't deserve. Mercy and grace. They're crying out for mercy. Hey, Jesus, don't give us what we deserve. What does that mean? Where does that come from? Well, the Jews viewed the lepers as having leprosy because God was primarily dissatisfied, displeased, rejecting, looking down, punishing them. It's because of their bad life. So they have been hammered upon that the reason that they have this disease, the reason they are rejects is because God hates them. He's having mercy. My brothers and sisters, don't rush to a suffering person. Be very, very slow to go to a suffering person and explain to them why this has befallen them. Because God, God alone can do that. Don't rush to their side. Unless, in a very rare circumstances, I've just seen so many hearts break and damage done by the church. Well, if you weren't so sinful, maybe your life would be better. Well, if you weren't so hard hearted, maybe you'd know Jesus. There's a time and there's a place. No wit. Lead with love, lead with brokenness. Go help somebody cry. Go help somebody cry. Do that, they'll see Jesus. All right? We go. It starts to get exciting here in verse 14. He saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. Now, leprosy made you ritualistic, ritually unclean. You had to go to the priest in order to go from exile, from being rejected, living outside the camp, to entering into normal life, which includes being allowed in the temple. You had to go to the priest who would then examine you, and, and there was a time of holding, a, a time of watching for about a week, and then they'd look at you again, and they would declare you clean. And then you could b- go back to your normal life, you know? Then you would go back. But look what they did. It said, they, they went. They went. Verse 14, and as they went. Now, look at what's happening here. He's got 10 lepers. They say, Jesus, have mercy on us. What does he say? He says, go to the priests. Can you see them going? He's like, come on. I don't want to show myself to anyone, much less the guy who's in charge of declaring you clean and letting you have a normal life. I'm like, hey, I think I know what he's up to. So sick and broken and still looking like a leper, they all go. Can you see them, Guys in the town who used to leave him food. Hey, dudes, where are you going? We're going to the priest. Why? Because he's going to check us out and declare us clean. Yeah? Well, you still look like crap. (laughs) Thanks. We'll see you later. They're going. Do you get the point? They're going. What huge faith. This is what we're all called to. What's the takeaway here? Yeah, Jesus, maybe we say. You heal me first. At least show me. Start it. Then I'm gonna go. You show me how you're going to bless me financially. You show me the windfall, then I'm gonna start giving. Then I'll start tithing. You first, Jesus. Jesus. Show me how you're going to work out every detail in my life for me to go to the mission field, take this job, take this class, be with this person, do this. You show me how that's going to work out, then I'll do it. I know you're calling me, but you lay it all out. Then I'll go. You show me how my spouse is going to change, and then I'll submit to working on my marriage. You show me how my friend is going to change first, and then I'll step out there and let them hurt me again. Do I need to keep going? They went. All 10 of them had incredible faith. And as they went, 14 says, they were cleansed. That's the, that's the miracle. The miracle takes place. It's going to be a miracle too if I get you out of here on time. Okay. They were cleansed. Jesus shows up in all his glory, in all his power. He heals them. Can you see it happening, dude? How many have, How many fingers am I holding up? Ten. Well, when we left, I had eight and a half. I got ten, and then everybody's checking themselves out, and they're all celebrating, and they're all high fiving because they can do that now, you know. And uh, it's they're they're excited, but but something happens to one. Look look look! This is the turning point right here. They were cleansed, and then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Praising who? Help me. It's a small word, but it's a big one. Praising who? Praising God. Right. He's praising who? He's praising God. He knew who was responsible for his healing, and he praised who? God. Jesus healed him, and he's praising who? God which means that he knew what we need to know what everybody needs to know that Jesus is who God absolutely he got it he's praising God with a loud voice last time these are loud guys but they they cried out for their they cried out for their healing the same way that they're crying out in praise and thanksgiving so there they are with a loud voice and fell on his face at Jesus' feet giving him thanks. They wanted the normal life. He wanted a normal life. Praising God. Your thankfulness needs an object. Your 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 thanks. We can't just be generally thankful. You get it? I'm a thankful guy. I'm just a thankful guy. Yeah, to whom? I don't know. I'm just thankful. Well, who are you thankful to? I don't know. The universe. Thankful to the universe for giving me all that I got. Your thankfulness needs an object. Really, you're going to go with that? The former planet Pluto is responsible for all the good in your life? I think that takes an awful lot more faith than believing that your creator, your redeemer, your savior, and your king is responsible for every good gift but that's just me your object your your thankfulness needs an object you need to be thankful for something and to someone do you get that okay we need an object otherwise we're kissing the pillow you know what i'm saying it's pathetic and it's pointless and nobody's getting love we're going through the motions ain't hey, no there's nothing happening here's the punchline of this story at the end of verse 16, now he was a Samaritan. It implies that this group of lepers was a mixture of Jews and Samaritans. He's a Samaritan, the ones that the Jews thought was outside of God's approval. Was not moral enough, was not religious enough, did not have the right pedigree, did not, wasn't churchy enough, wasn't this enough, wasn't that. And you see it here in our church. Who are the people who get it? By and large, the people who get Jesus, really get him, who are they? The outcasts, the rejects, the addicts, the divorced, the unpopular, the partiers, those who have slept around, those who have been convicts, those who have blown it, those who know they have a past that they're not proud of. These are people who know that their only hope is Jesus Christ. And by and large, those are the people who really get it. Not that they continue in these things, but those things, that's in their brokenness, they see the healing of Jesus. In their sin, they see the forgiveness of Jesus. In their repentance, they see the life of Jesus. And who are the people that... Don't get it scripturally and don't get it in our lives are the people who are so trusting in their own righteousness and we look down on everybody else morally and spiritually and this way and that way that we seldom answer the call to repentance because the message is never for us. You get broken people, the message is always for us. I'm a wreck and Jesus is my only hope. The best position I have ever taken is not pride, but on my knees, thanking God for his mercy and his grace and pleading with him. That's where the joy comes. That's where the joy comes. That's who gets it. That's who's coming to Jesus in this story and in life. They're finding a future. I love it when people come to me, like, and they're trying to warn, do you know who's coming to that church? Do you know who's coming to your church? I go, yeah, isn't that great? He's done real time. I mean years. You should see his rap sheet. It's great. And you know what? He's being changed. He's being changed. Platitudes can change people to say the right thing, go do this thing, do that thing. The Spirit of God changes hearts. The Word of God changes hearts, and he specializes in 180 degrees. You're saying, well, I only need a 10-degree turn. Really? I think just by saying that, you need 180. <laughs> so let's all just join the 180 club. Let them turn us all the way around. That's what this guy did. And Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed. He starts asking questions. Where are the nine? Most of us, particularly those who are familiar with this story, like to make ourselves more comfortable by placing ourselves outside the story. Here's how we do it. So we take the other nine and we say, they were thankless, good-for-nothings who had no faith. That's not what happened. These people... The nine who did not come back and say thank you, who did not fall at Jesus' feet, the other nine, they stepped out in faith and went to the priest before they were healed. They stepped out in faith in ways that few of us can really relate to. They had enough faith to do that. They just didn't have enough love to say, I'm going back to Jesus. I value the healer more than the healing. I value the gift giver more than the gift. They went back. And the one said, I want a normal life too. I want a normal life too. But I don't just want a normal life without leprosy if it means it's without Jesus. Jesus for him. Was not just somebody to fix his problems of his life. Jesus was his life. And so he didn't only get cured, he got healed of everything. And it goes on 18, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. He said to him, Rise. You still on his face at Jesus' feet, pouring out thanks and praise and worship. Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The Greek word here is sozo, it means to be saved. Your faith has saved you. One returned to Jesus, nine did not. 10%. I wonder if the percentages are the same for us. Are we thankful enough? We're going to take a look at a few scriptures, um, commands in scripture to be thankful. If we really are true with scripture, we're told to be OCD, obsessive, compulsive, about being thankful about everything. at All times, you think about it, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we're, we're to be thankful in all circumstances. You say, okay, at all, in all circumstances I will give thanks, but I'm not going to give thanks for the stinking parts of my life. Oh, really? Then you should read Ephesians 5.20, which says, give thanks always and for everything. The only people who can do that are so convinced of the sovereignty of God that even the things that look like train wrecks, they know He can turn around and use for His glory, and they're good. So we're called to do all this. We can and should thank God for every single thing all the time except for sin. You can thank God for everything except for sin and evil. And we ought to. This is just another example, and we'll pound on this every time we come to it, every time we have the opportunity that all God's commands in the Old Testament and New are not designed to rob us of joy. They're not designed to say, here's joy, you go over here. They're not designed to steal joy from us, but to lead us into it. Do you understand? Because not only are we commanded to thank Jesus for everything, in everything, uh, because he deserves it, and he does, but here's another reason A complimentary reason because it leads us into the right relationship with Him, the right faith, the right thinking, in the way it lines us up with how He wants us to live for His glory and for our joy. Having a heart that overflows with thankfulness, leads us to so many of the blessings that God wants for us that we won't have any other way. And it's got to be a thanksgiving that can only be explained by the risen Christ, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be OCD thankfulness. It can't just be some garden variety. Yeah, I'm grateful. Yeah, when things are going my way. So here they are. If you're taking notes, very quickly, here are 10 things. Some of you rolled your eyes. Why'd it have to be 10? There could be 20. Be thankful. (laughs) Ted things. I'm just gonna give you the scripture references of what uh, being a thankful person in Christ, thanking him obsessively and compulsively unleashes in your life. First, it allows us to follow the command to rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4.4. 4, because you will forever, if you go through life being OCD about being thankful to Jesus, you will be always reminded of how much you have and who has given it to you and you'll be grateful, and you'll be joyful. See, people get it wrong. They think joyful people are thankful. No, thankful people are joyful. I don't feel thankful. Start thanking. You will. You can turn your day around. You can turn your attitude around. You can turn your your emotions around. I leave my house. I live on Hartman Rocks Drive, and I work at the college, and it's 2.5 miles from our mailbox exactly to Highway 50, where I turn right. And in that 2.5 miles, which I reach in probably three minutes because I go four days. I don't break the speed limit much. (laughs) We're going to talk about truthfulness another week. Um, I can go from hating my job to dreading what awaits for me. And if I'm thankful for everything, by the time I get to the highway, I can be ebullient. I can be rejoicing. I thank him for Valco. I thank him for the cows. I thank him for the snow on the peaks. I thank him that I have a car to ride. I thank him that I'm not doing this all the time, but when I'm smart enough, it can turn your life around. It can help you rejoice in the Lord always. We lived in San Antonio, and it's hot there in the summertime. It's, it's, it's the hell mouth. I'll be honest with you, okay? When they search for it, point him to San Antonio. It gets hot. I'm picking my son up. We have to take him somewhere late in the afternoon, the hottest part of the day. Our air conditioning on our pathetic car is spitting. You know, I'm dying, you know, and I'm alone in the car and Tommy's in the backseat. He's probably four and he's drenched with sweat, just drenched. And I left my sunglasses at work and I'm stuck in traffic and the sun is right there. And it's, it's twice as big in San Antonio because it has to be. And it's right in that spot where you can't get the visors, the cross. And I'm just, I'm like this. And I had a rough day. And I'm like, and I'm sweating. And all of a sudden from the back seat, right, Tommy, hey, Dad. Full voice, always, even if you're right there, full voice. Yell <laughs> grew that. It was cute for a while. Um, hey, Dad. What? Look at that beautiful sunset that God put there for us to look at. Yeah. I probably saw this as a teachable moment and said, don't stare at the sun, you'll go blind. (laughs) The way you see a thing, the way you react to it, can change it and you completely. Rejoice in the Lord always. I said we go quick, okay. Two, it would help us be content in our circumstances. First Timothy 6, 6, because even when you're inconvenience, you feel like giving up, you're suffering, you can be content because you're forever reminding yourself of how much you have to be thankful for, which doesn't give us the opportunity to be malcontents. Number three, it keeps us from idolatry. Psalm one, fifteen, four. 4. It keeps us from being more in love with the blessing than the blessor. It keeps us from being uh, more in love with God's stuff than with God. And more in love with Jesus than what Jesus can do for us. It keeps us from idolatry and God substitutes. It keeps us from pride, which Martin Luther said was the mother of all sins. One, 1 John 2, 6 keeps us from pride. If we're OCD about being thankful to Jesus, think about it. If we're OCD about being thankful to Jesus, then every single thing we have, our wife, our clothes, our, our house, our job, our, the air that we breathe, the hot water in the shower, the Old Spice that makes me smell like the guy on the commercial that's riding the horse, all of that... <laughs> Everything is a gift, right? A gift. If we're thankful, we didn't earn it. It's a gift. And if everything's a gift, how can I be proud? I'm a recipient. It's, humili- it's humility. Number five, it makes us generous. Being OCD about being thankful to Jesus makes us generous. 2 Corinthians 9.11. Here's why. It's for, for forever thanking Jesus you come to believe you are the most fortunate, the most blessed man or woman on the face of the earth. You have riches untold. In this life and in the next, everything you have is a gift. You're you're, you're continually seeing things as God wants you to see them. You are the most blessed person. And you look out and you say, there are people hurting, there are people without. I have to redistribute. It makes us generous. If we see everything we have, it makes us generous. We can't be cheap. We can't be selfish. Number six, it keeps us from coveting and lusting, Ephesians 5.3. If you are forever thanking God for everything you have, you are not going to want what your neighbor has. If I am forever thanking God for my beautiful wife, I don't want your girlfriend. If I'm ever praising him and thanking him for putting her in my life, I don't want your wife. I don't want what's on the screen. I don't want what's in the magazine. It protects us from covetousness and lust, Ephesians 5.3. Number six, seven, it keeps us in constant prayer, 2 Timothy 1.3. If we're always thanking God throughout the day for everything, obsessively, compulsively, we're always talking to him. We're always praying, and we're hearing from him. And he doesn't just say, you're welcome. He leads us in his way because we're linked to him. Okay, number eight. When things don't go our way, it keeps us from being a whining, complaining, griping, malcontent, grumbling, pain in the Philippians. Uh, Philippians 2.14. Philippians 2.14. I saved myself. Um, It keeps us from whining because we're thankful. We can't complain that things aren't going our way because things are going God's way and God's way is our way. And if it's going his way, I have all the joy I need number 9 it delivers us from depression psalm 42:11 if you fill your mind and i know some people have have chemical things and this can work for us too some some of you just get blue and down in the mouth if you are continually reminding yourself and god how grateful you are to him for everything in your life for every hope that you have for everything it becomes hard to feel hopeless you're filled with hope Number 10, and the last one, is it is the only appropriate response to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 9.15. Baptism is that. It's saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for the resurrection life. I have a friend, a friend of many of you as well, Allie Page, who's going to share with us the thankfulness of baptism.
1: Tom asked me if I would share my story of how I was baptized with you guys in five minutes, so I'll do my best to do that. Um, I was baptized as an infant, a little trickle on the head, which I think is great because that's your parents' way of saying I'm dedicated to bringing you up as a Christian the best way I know how. Um, But I did several altar calls in middle school and high school, and the Bible doesn't really talk about altar calls, but I was doing my best to become a Christian the way I knew how, and um, I guess it's almost two years ago, I went on a mission trip called the World Race, and I knew uh, it was a year-long experience, and I knew during that time that I wanted to be baptized, and I had I had pictured it in my head exactly how it was going to be. I thought, I want my mentors to be there and my teammates, and it's going to be like in the Nile River or in Lake Nicaragua and somewhere really cool, and that's that's what it's going to be like. That's going to be my baptism experience. I'm so focused on how I wanted it to go. Um, And then nine months in, the ninth country went to a different country every month on this mission trip. The ninth country was Romania, and we lived in a very, very poor gypsy village. And gypsies are somewhat like lepers in Romania. They're the outcasts, the half-breeds. No one wants them, and that's where we were at. And we show up the first night, and our contact person there goes, oh, I think you should get baptized here. And I was like, oh. How do you know that? I've been baptized. And he's like, No, you're going to get baptized here. And he's like, Okay. So I thought a lot. I was like, I'll pray about it, you know? And so um, I prayed about it. And I just, this is how I was imagining it. My mentors weren't going to be there. I, I didn't know what he was talking about. And it was actually supposed to be on their Easter Sunday. And Easter in Romania is a big, big, big deal. And so I, I prayed about it, and I agreed. And I'm going to set the scene for you. This is like barefoot gypsies. They play accordions and violin at church service. There is no cars. It's all horse and carriages. It's very picturesque. It's beautiful, um, and it, it was an amazing place. But it was it was it was intense. So Easter morning, I wake up and I go outside and I see all these men dragging these benches out of the church into this front yard and it's all like a dirt front yard and chickens and weeds and oh, I was like I'm going to get baptized here. Okay, this is good. That's fine. Uh all right and um my heart was kind of a little hard towards it and I knew that was wrong. So the scene Continues to unfold. Um, I kind of look at the mentor and I go, Why are they dragging the benches out into your front yard? Where are you going to baptize me? He's like, You'll see. And next I see them dragging a bathtub, a dirty, old, rusty bathtub, onto this guy's front porch. And the masses start to arrive. Hundreds of gypsies from all the surrounding villages start coming and sitting. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 (laughs) whoa. You didn't tell me anything about this. And they put a sheet inside the bathtub and they start dumping water the creek and the thing and he's like you're gonna be baptized by a Pentecostal pastor I hope that's okay I'm like it's all the same God we all love Jesus that's okay and he's like but you have to wear an outfit (laughs) I'm okay with being baptized in front of people I know don't know but now I have to wear like this big white robe and a white gypsy headdress I was a little anxious about that, and a part of baptism is you're in front of people. It's a public procul- proclamation, and it's scary doing that in front of people. because're like, they're going to be looking at me, and what am I going to look like? And what if water's coming out of my nose, and I don't know. What if, uh. Okay, so I had an epiphany. You know, I was praying about it beforehand, and God was just like, stop it. Stop it, Allison. Really, like, you're making this about you. This is not about you in any way, and it never was supposed to be. And baptism is supposed to be about him. And like Tom said, we're supposed to give thanks. But if we're always looking at ourselves and what we want and how we think it should be and how life is going to go, you're going to have a really hard time being thankful. And I I really did struggle with that. I wanted it to go my way. And that's pride, friends. (laughs) I was very full of pride. And so I had to lay that all down and um, ask God to um, forgive me day of my baptism and put on this white robe that made me look like michelin woman (laughs) and um it was the most powerful most meaningful experience in my life of that entire trip and that was 11 months in third world countries and that's the one experience that means the most it was incredibly powerful and, um, it represented new birth and the dying of myself, and a girl had a dream the night before the baptism, and it was her dream was a woman giving birth, and the woman died, but the baby lived and she's like, that's for you, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's so creepy, what are you talking about <laughs> And she said that the woman represents our flesh, our old self, and by being baptized, that is dying and allowing God to bring new life and new birth and it, it's incredible it's an incredible thing and um even though I was a Christian most of my life, it still represented me stepping forward and God tells us to get over ourselves and to grow up in the faith, and that's exactly what baptism did for me. And it's a lot easier to give thanks every day now that that has happened and I've made that decision and I hope you guys will make that decision too if you haven't.
0: God bless you, my friend. oh <laughs> It's being thankful. The resurrection life. Just keep a couple of thoughts, and we'll close. Um, when we were kids, we would get so excited for Christmas morning, and we rushed down me and my three sisters to the presents. And <clears throat> we didn't, we weren't like we were a little trashy. We didn't like the uh, gift tags that you buy. Everybody in my family like folds up. A scrap piece of wrapping paper and writes on it. Do you do that? All right, we're friends in, in tackiness. It's okay. So what we would do is that we were so interested in the gift that we would tear the, the paper off and, and get to the thing that we really wanted. And my mom and dad would say, "Who who gave that to you?" I don't know. <laughs> to the next one. Who gave you that? I don't know. You see, um, to us the gift was far more important than the giver. And I wonder, for me and for you, um, have we grown out of that? Have we grown out of that? Every blessing that Jesus gives you and me is bait to try to draw us to himself, where the real blessing is. We found how to take the bait. And not go to the Lord. If we're excessively compulsive, I don't think we'll do that. You and I have leprosy of the heart and Jesus comes closer than six feet and he touches and he makes us clean. And some of us, sometimes, are so eager to get back to a normal life that we take it and we go back like the other nine. And he's calling us to say, no, I don't want just life without leprosy if it means life without you. Life without you is life at all. I want to be face down at your feet, overwhelmed with thanks. It's hard for some of you to receive. It's hard for guys, particularly, to get past the pride, and say, "I need something that I can't provide for myself. We need to get, get past that. Be thankful, be de- thankful to him, dependent on him, in need of him, in love with him. That's the gospel. Let me plead with you, and and then we'll be done. All of us, all of us, all of us, will you fall at the feet of Jesus now and obsessively and continually and pour out thanksgiving to him for everything and unlock all that he wants to be in your life? Or will you tear open the paper to get to the gift and forget who gave it to you. Everything can change. And this is our time to decide. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you um, in confession that so often I have in my self-centeredness, in my everything missed so many opportunities uh, to thank you for so many things and Lord, I, I, I tend to only thank you when when things are going the way that I 've mapped out in my life, and my mind is the best, the things that would make you happiest, but the things that would make me happiest and that 's when I thank you and 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 Lord, you're calling, and you deserve, and you want to unpack such a deeper experience of you through gratitude, Lord. And, And we want that. We want to have our eyes open to every one of your gifts. We want to have our hearts open to thanking you always. We want to follow you in obsessive, compulsive thanksgiving as your followers. If that's your prayer, along with me, I ask you to just raise your hand to God. If that's what you want, if that's what we're praying together, that's what you want. God bless you. God bless you. We've got hands going up all over the church. God bless you. God bless you. He will. All right, great. Still praying. There are some who have not thanked him for the cross, for his mercy, for his grace. And you say, Lord, I have seen for the first time the beauty of what you have done for me that you have not given me the punishment that I deserve, but you have given me the forgiveness and the new life that I don't deserve, and I'm so glad, and I'm so grateful. I want you to come into my heart. Lord, fill me with thanksgiving for your gospel, for your cross. I want to follow you all the days of my life. That's my prayer. If that's your prayer this morning, I ask you to just slip your hand up to God. Let him know. Just let me know. We'll meet here. I just want to see your eyes. I want to pray with you. We want to take that step closer to the cross. All right. All right. If, if that's going on in your heart, just ask God in the best way you know. Pour out your thanksgiving. Say, Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for rising. Thank you for living the life I couldn't live and dying the la- death I should have died. I confess my sins to you and receive your forgiveness and the new life that is only in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond if you need prayer. If you want to pour out your thanksgiving to God, if you need prayer for anything, the altar's open. I'll be here. Um, Alita's here. She'll pray with you. Matt is here. Bistro's here. We pray with you. Let's respond to God right now.